0: Doctor RJ Rushduni R R one thirty before V.S. Molech First Commandment Deuteronomy Doid Deut eighteen verses nine and following Deuteronomy eighteen verses nine following God versus Moloch. Deuteronomy eighteen, verses nine following. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto the observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him he shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that they have that which they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command thee. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thy heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 22, a variety of practices are cited as forbidden, all of which are with respect to knowing and controlling the future of man and the world. There are a variety of practices. There are necromancers, that is, those who speak to the dead, spiritualists, trying to get a message from the dead. There are those who are diviners who through various forms of divination attempt to know the future, witchcraft or magic and so on. Virtually every particular form of attempting to know the future is here cited except one which did not as yet exist in that part of the world. Astrology, But astrology is later cited by the prophets as being covered by these regulations. Now at the head of the list is one particular form which sums up in essence all these attempts to have power over the future. There shall not be found among you any that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. This, of course, is dealt with in numerous other regulations, and it is defined for us very specifically as Moloch worship. It was Moloch worship, M-O-L-O-C-H, sometimes spelled M-O-L-E-C-H, that this and other scriptures had reference to. Now we cannot begin to understand the significance of Moloch worship with its demand of children as sacrifice, until we begin to analyze the meaning of the word Moloch. The word Moloch is the same as the word which still appears in various of the Middle Eastern languages as Melek, Malik, Malak, and in various Western European countries as Milcom and Malcolm. Its meaning is king. It's a very common word. It very often appears in various legitimate forms, but here, it has reference to a Baal, a God. And the name of this God, Melech, or Moloch, or Moloch, meant king. Moloch worship was state worship. The state claimed to be the true and the ultimate order, and religion was a department of state. The Moloch state claimed to have total jurisdiction over man and was therefore entitled to total sacrifice. It had absolute right over the life of man. Now this, of course, makes it very telling in terms of our modern culture because the modern state is a Moloch state. It claims total jurisdiction over the life of man, over his income, over his life, over his property, and feels it can claim his right to live, to expropriate his life, at will, apart from the law of God. But, the scripture makes it clear that no man has any right over another man's life apart from the Word of God. One of the related commandments is in Leviticus nineteen twenty six. This is a single sentence, and listen to it. You shall not eat anything with the blood neither shall ye use enchantment nor observe times. Now to the modern American, as he hears this sentence, it seems as though two completely unrelated ideas are brought together, and so this is an illogical sentence. First, it forbids eating anything with blood, so that whatever animal is eaten has to be bled first. And then it says, you shall not indulge in spiritualism or uh, astrology or anything that involves an ungodly probing into the future. What do the two have in common? Now the ban concerning eating anything with blood in it goes directly back to a number of commandments in the Bible, which we will deal with more next week. But these commandments required that whenever man killed to eat, he did it only in terms of the law of God and by the permission of God, so the animals which were legitimate food were specified. The laws had the health of man, his life, in mind. And so certain types of animals were forbidden. Then, because all life comes from God, life can only be taken in God, on God's terms, and therefore as man kills to eat, that blood must be spilled upon the ground and then covered over in order that it might be returned unto God by his permission and then the food eaten with thanksgiving so that every partaking of meat constitutes, according to scripture, an act of thanksgiving, a kind of communion meal with God and hence the necessity that it be eaten with thanksgiving. This is specified in Scripture. St. Paul makes it emphatic. So that any attempt to take life or to govern life apart from the word of God is therefore murloch worship. This is the connection. It constitutes an attempt by man to play at being God, to say life is to be taken on my terms. Moloch worship claimed total jurisdiction over the life of man. Over his the days and tomorrows. Just as today the state claims the right to take and conscript young men and send them to Asia or elsewhere at will in violation of our Constitution, the provisions of which were established on Christian grounds. Similarly, it claims the right to take your income in contempt of the law of God. It claims the right to govern you from cradle to grave in contempt of the law of God. In other words, it claims total right to your life, and this is Moloch worship. Total jurisdiction means that the state is entitled to total sacrifice. And therefore, this had to be set forth symbolically in worship, in Moloch worship, periodically in that people would be called upon in a time of great national crisis to bring forth their children and offer them their firstborn son on the altar of Moloch. The Moloch state comes when people reject God as king for a man or a state as king the first commandment declared, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When Israel rejected the leadership of Samuel, Samuel went in dejection to God and God said, They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not be king or melech over them. And so he told them the consequences of their course of action, their rejection of God. What would happen now that the state was being made king? And in 1 Samuel 8, verses 11 through 18, God declares the consequences of this rejection. And he says, because they are choosing another king, in effect, by implication, another god, even though they claim they are not. First, he says there will be conscription. Second, there will be compulsory labor battalions. Third, there will be conscription of young women as well as men. Fourth, there will be an expropriation of property and livestock. Fifth, the state will demand a tithe like God as its tax. Now, this is an interesting point. God declares that when a state demands as much as 10% of anyone's income... The support itself, it is challenging God. It is denying God because God alone has the right as the absolute Lord and landlord to demand that much of man. But today, the state requires far more than 10%. It is well over 40% that all state, federal, and local taxes take of one's income. And sixth, God declares he will not hear a people who complain about paying the price of their sin. That the day will come, he says, when the consequence of having abandoned me will bring upon you all this oppression, and when you reach the ultimate of this oppression, you shall cry out unto me, and I will not hear you you will pay the price. The Moloch state, therefore, represents man's supreme effort to command the future and to play God, to have himself as the other God before God. Now in a related passage in Deuteronomy 13, Moses goes into greater detail about the false prophets. And he declares that there are three kinds of instigators to idolatry in Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 through 5. He says there is an instigation to idolatry by false prophets. Second, in verses 6 to 11, by private individuals. And third, in verses 12 through 18, by a city, by a community. And he declares there must be in all three cases the death penalty without mercy. Now, the death penalty is not required for private belief. In other words, a person can privately in his heart be an idolater or an atheist, but it is for attempts to propagate idolatry, to subvert the social order. Similarly, this law is not for a missionary situation But in a Christian society that has established itself upon God's law order, then such a society has an obligation to invoke the death penalty against all those who attempt to subvert it, because this is then the basic treason. Every law order has a concept of treason. Of betrayal of its fundamental law order it either punishes such treason by death or it commits suicide now criminal offenses always exact a penalty penalty every time a crime is committed there is a penalty it makes no difference whether the crime is great or small every crime has a penalty if it's a pencil that's stolen the person who owned that pencil is penalized to the extent that they have to replace that pencil if it's a million dollars stolen the person who had that million or the institution that had it is then penalized the only question is Who is penalized? Is it the criminal or is it the victim? According to biblical law, restitution is the requirement. The criminal is penalized. In our society today, we are penalized. We are robbed, and then we have to pay to support the criminal in jail by means of taxation. So that we are doubly penalized. We lose that which we were robbed of, and then we lose the price of the support in taxation. Every criminal offense always exacts a penalty and we live today in such an age that the penalty is almost invariably paid by the victim now crime also exacts a social penalty as well as a personal penalty the law order is breached the peace and health of society are broken If in a classroom a child cheats and the child gets an undeserved grade, everyone in the classroom is affected because the whole order and the rank and the grading of the classroom is affected in that someone has an eminence, a position that is undeserved. and the law order of that classroom is broken. Or if a child speaks out of turn and gets away with it, the peace and quiet of all is disturbed. Basic to any society is the integrity of its foundations. And if a society allows its foundations to be attacked, Then it perishes. The Marxists make it clear that if you're going to attack Marxism, you're going to die. That is not the sin of Marxism. If this were the only thing the Marxists did, we would have to say there's, there's good sense in their procedures because they are simply recognizing that this is their foundation, Marxist philosophy, and they can never survive if they allow Marxist philosophy to be attacked and to be denied and for people to try to convert anyone away from it. A society either protects its foundations and declares that any departure from it incurs the death penalty or it perishes. And therefore, the first commandment being, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing more totally destroys a society than a breaching of this faith in a godly society. But of course, this is no longer the faith of our society. We are a humanistic society, And we are in a missionary situation. We have to convert and to reestablish. As against these false prophets, false mediators, from the diviners to the necromancers to the Moloch state, the false prophets, all of whom claim to be God's and man's true mediator to salvation and to happiness. The true prophet is cited in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. God says, I will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thy brethren like unto thee, Very man of very man, like unto me, like unto Moses, a lawgiver who speaks for God, unto him he shall hearken. All the prophets spoke in the name of the Lord as forerunners of Christ, and Christ was the prophet. He comes, according to the promise given through Moses in the fullness of time, to speak unto them all that I shall command him. Isaiah, in the 8th chapter, the 19th verse, as he surveys the apostasy of the people, And their readiness to go to spiritualists, to fortune-tellers, to seers and seeresses to probe the future, commented, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? or as the angels said to the women at the tomb why seek ye him that liveth among the dead in the concluding passage of the 18th chapter Moses turns to the false prophets. The false prophet, when he speaks a thing in the name of the Lord, claiming to be a faithful servant of God. If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Today we live in a society that has for some years been given over to Moloch worship. The state has been man's king and God, and we are now reaping the consequences. I referred a few weeks ago to the incident that had just taken place about two weeks ago at the Sorbonne during the student rebellion in Paris. There was in the auditorium a sign that read, It is forbidden, uh, no smoking. And someone had written under it in large letters on the wall, It is forbidden to forbid. Then someone came along and wrote on the outside walls in large letters a sentence that became the motto of the students. I take my desires for the truth because I believe in the truth of my desires. This is anarchism and it is Moloch worship. In which every man makes himself his own Moloch and says, all things must be sacrificed to me, all law and order, all humanity, because I deem it so. One of the aspects of Moloch worship that is very significant. Is that as a part of the paganism it represented? All kinds of strange sacrifices of humanity were required of man. Not only the sacrifice of the human feeling of surrendering one's children to be burned on an altar before this image, But also all kinds of mutilation, all kinds of denials of humanity. And it became a part of this kind of Baal worship to have as well priests that were castrated. It was a denial of humanity. And an attempt to be as God by surpassing humanity. This was a deep impulse in the ancient world, a part of its humanism. Because when men deny God, the essence of humanism is that it makes man to be God. And there is a legend concerning Empedocles, the Greek philosopher. That, in his old age, he decided to be a god. And so, he climbed up onto Mount Etna and threw himself into the crater of the volcano to become a god. It was his form of Moloch worship. And today, all over the world, whether it is the totalitarians or the anarchists, Self-destruction is the method by which men are seeking to be as gods. Against this we must declare. God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. For apart from him, Man cannot live, and his course becomes self-destruction. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word, and we thank Thee that Thy Word speaks to our condition and gives us strength to live, to overcome, to triumph. We thank thee, our Father, that we can face all our todays and our tomorrows in the supreme confidence of victory. Bless us to this purpose. Grant us thy peace and thy guiding and provident care, that in all things we may be more than conquerors through him that loved us, even Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Are there any questions now? Yes. What was that? No, but of course the meats are bled. What little is left in we are not to worry about. But uh this is re-emphasized in Acts fifteen in the Council of uh, Jerusalem, so that it does apply to us. How do you know when you are a Christian? You know that you are a Christian when We're not a Christian because we do everything that we are told. We do what we are told to do in Scripture as our gratitude to God for his salvation. We are a Christian when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, when by faith we accept him as the only one who can save us, when we recognize it is not what our hands have done or can do, but what he has done for us. And then our response is to keep his word to the best of our ability. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This is the declaration over and over in the New Testament. No right like yes, uh, well, not necessarily. Some people have... Uh, an emotional experience others they find imperceptibly day by day they are moving more and more in the direction of faith and of obedience and as they look back they can see that a great change has taken place growth, growth yes this is more commonly the situation it is a growth that begins because growth is not a dramatic thing you see uh the seed begins its life underground it's growing but you don't see it but suddenly you notice it's there you go and come and then you notice why it's really popped up it's getting to be quite tall and this is the way most Christian growth is yes is it a sin to use uh divining rod uh, to locate water this is a question that is often debated it is not covered by any of the commandments particularly we don't really know what is involved in uh, this myself I feel a little inclined to be hostile to it until I fully determine in my mind what all is involved? I have uh, gotten a book on uh, water witching to see what it has to say. It's an historical survey, and one of these days I'll get around to analyzing it, and then I'll know, when I know exactly what is meant there, uh, more of what uh, jurisdiction the law here has with reference to it. Yes. Yes, I know the verse. Um, yes, that's a verse that is very often used. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7:14. That's very true, but it cannot be read in an antinomian, anti-law fashion. What do I mean by that? Simply this, God does say in 1 Samuel 8, verses 11 through 18, that if you cry out in that day, I will not hear you. What does he mean by it? Well, namely, that when you are crying out against the penalty of your sins, I will not hear you. But if there is true repentance, 2 Chronicles 8, 14 says, I will hear you, but this does not mean I will turn away the consequences. In other words, you're going to pay for it all the same, but I will give you an opportunity thereafter. In other words, if you have a hundred dollars, a child, let us say, has a hundred dollars and they waste it and they go in sorrow and repentance to their parents, the parents can say, I forgive you, but they aren't going to say, unless they're fools, I'll restore the hundred dollars to you that you blew. So God is saying, you're going to pay for it, but I'll give you another opportunity. But it doesn't mean you're going to get back what you lost. You pay the price. what the second chronicles 714 yes yes i couldn't hear is what Yes, I haven't read the book yet. Uh, Yes. But of course, uh, I've I've read the little portions of it. And of course, this is what he is talking about, apparently. Moloch worship. In the hideous strength. Many passages in the law that deal with this, they specifically cite the kinds of meat you can eat. For example, beef and uh, lamb and kid. We'll come to that later on. But uh, the law has a great deal. We'll go into the significance of these commandments later on when we get to it. But it cites the kinds of meats that are given by God as food for man. And then says specifically that the blood is to be spilled on the ground as an offering to God, recognizing that one takes it by his permission, and the food is then to be eaten with thanksgiving. So it is definitely not a vegetarian kind of commandment. yes unless the practice has been changed this has been in Western society except in a few places in Europe uh, very much the requirement it used to be unless it's been changed recently that the laws required the method of butchering and the blood had to be uh, at least it the blood had to be let out now uh, it is extensively used, I believe, for making of fertilizers and other things today. Yes. We'll come to this. Uh, these are good questions, but we want to deal with that later. We're going to go into... The significance of this. We'll touch on the blood a little next week, but, uh, I don't want to go into the whole of the law all at once. Yes? There is no evidence in Scripture that we are only to meet, eat meat at certain times none whatsoever it is simply given to man as food and it depended on the financial means of people say in the Old Testament times how often they ate meat and that was it yes oh yes there was an idol right Uh, very definitely an idol First of all, i that's a difficult question because Marx was such a long-winded writer that it sometimes took him forever to say something, and when he said it, it wasn't clear. But I would say in some of his early writings, which you can get in a paperback entitled Marx's Early Writings, you find some of his plainest and best statements. Then, of course, the Communist Manifesto. That's very important. Then in the volume entitled On Religion, which is a collection of his various uh, things here, and also on German philosophy. These are all very good. I would say one of the best ways right now to understand Karl Marx is to read an excellent introduction which will give you some choice citations from Marx, as well as where to go for them, is a book that just came out this past week by Gary North entitled Marx's Religion of Revolution. And I would say this you must get and read. You'll have a superb analysis there. Yes. I think it was because he was confused I really do yeah. I think a son like Lord Keynes deliberately tried to be uh, pompous and uh, confuse people but Marx was a very confused and sick mind so that there was this uh, tendency to gush when he wrote it was it just came pouring out every kind of Badly digested idea. Yes. In our truth, you have the 40 days of fasting for the future of Christ's passion and fasting. It really has no ground in either. The 40 days of Lent and the fasting at Lent. Uh, have been made into a kind of uh, time for spiritual meditation and so on. But according to the entire Bible, the Old and New Testaments, there was only one day of fasting required on the Day of Atonement of the Old Testament believer. Now that disappeared because Christ's atonement on the cross made the Day of Atonement Uh, fulfilled and our Lord said with respect to fasting now that the bridegroom was come he being the bridegroom of the church the time for fasting was over so that any mandatory time of fasting does not exist as far as the scripture is concerned it is mandatory only by church regulations now fasting is not forbidden, it is stated that it can be a voluntary thing for a season of prayer and meditation, but even there, when St. Paul speaks of it, neither a wife nor a husband can partake of a fast without the permission of the other. What was that? <laughs> explain our blindness to the massacre of young men is against uh, this well this is a contrived thing to a great degree I think of course what happened this last week was wicked murder is always a fearful sin it is an offense against God's command but the aftermath of that was even more wicked because within a matter of minutes you had various dignitaries saying substantially the same thing uh for example senator mccarthy he got on the air and said this was the act of a lone deranged man how did he know how does anyone know and how did he know within three or four hours that this was the act of a lone deranged man they didn't know the name of the man they didn't know anything when he so said. This was very presumptive. Then he proceeded to say, we are all guilty. Now that was the essence of wickedness, to put the guilt upon us, when certainly we did not do it. And there is no ground in Scripture to put guilt upon us for the act of a single man especially someone who has no connection with us, who is a foreigner, not even a citizen. Then, after he finished speaking, what the uh, announcers said was that we must not speak of this man as the murderer or the assassin, only as the alleged assassin, because it would prejudice the case in the courts. He could never be referred to except as the alleged murderer so he's only the alleged murderer but we are according to a senator of the United States and dignitaries from Washington to California the guilty ones now this is wicked it indicates a fearful depravity when you come to a situation where the innocent people are the guilty ones uh, I'll take just a minute or two more and our time is really up but I was in Washington D.C. and the mostly outside of it, from Thursday until yesterday afternoon. And I did not go into Washington itself, except on the outskirts. I had no interest to go and see Insurrection City. The name's given back there for it. I'm using the most polite term I ever heard, the only one fit to use. For Insurrection City. But the, I did not see any sense in going in uh, and seeing things of that sort, and of course I was told by any number of people, almost everyone that I met told me of some experiences they had had in the area that it isn't safe. Most people who have anything to do in Washington, live in the suburbs and work there, go in and out as quickly as possible. They do, do not go around at all. But to back up a bit, one of the things they stated was that they believed that the march on Washington of the on, and on the Pentagon earlier was a marvelously staged production that uh, platforms were set up in numerous places where the TV cameras could be placed. The action was in front of the cameras. It was in front of the cameras, too, that the lines of the troops broke and they were able to get through. And one person who works for the government said, I believe they wanted the lines to break at one point. That the lions could have held if it had been so ordered. That the idea was for you to see this and be terrified. That these things have as part of their purpose to throw fear into the hearts of the people. Then when Martin Luther King died... As soon as word of the rioting and the burning in Washington hit all the various government offices, the thousands upon thousands of people who were working didn't wait. Nobody ever told them uh, there will be no work the balance of this day or tomorrow. As the word reached them, people began to uh, shut their desks and put on their coats, and the secretaries picked up their handbags, and they started to walk out. So without a word from anybody, from every building of the federal government, the crowd starts started streaming out. The few who waited around wondering, uh, should I stay or should I leave? When they decided to leave, it was too late. The buses had stopped running, and not because they had been told to stop running. And... So some people had to walk 10 and 15 miles to the suburbs to get away. There have been burnings virtually every night and sometimes seven or eight since then. And yet the mayor of Washington, who is, of course, colored, together with various other officials who are white, call it a base slander that there is anything Wrong, or that Washington is not now a very safe city so that they are regularly making statements assuring everyone that it is a safe and quiet place in spite of the nightly burnings. It's not uncommon as people drive in and out to have pop bottles, rocks, and whatnot come through the car windows. One man I was talking to a minister, had, uh, as he stopped at an intersection, hoodlums come up and try to get into his car. This is the kind of thing that prevails. This is the most federally controlled area of the United States, and it is the most lawless part of the United States now. Friday, I asked to go to... Mount Vernon. I had not seen that on my previous visit. We'd gotten there too late. The man who took me remarked when we went there, and he said, this is really amazing. He said, I didn't expect to see so few people here. I knew that businessmen in Washington were saying that business was 25 to 50 percent off. But he said, Mount Vernon being outside of Washington... I still thought there would be crowds here. And he said, this time of the year, on a Friday afternoon, there would be 500 people just standing in line to get into the front door of the house. There weren't 50 people all over the place, in the house and around the grounds. So you didn't have to stand in line, you just walked in. Now this is the situation. One of the interesting things was I spoke at the commencement of uh, the Fairfax Christian School, and there was a crowd of a little better than a thousand, approximately 1,100 for the commencement, but neither there nor at any graduation in the Washington area were there caps and gowns. The two big supply houses in Washington D.C. had been looted of every cap and gown during the rioting. Now, what in the world they wanted to do with the caps and gowns, these hoodlums, I don't know. But every last cap and gown was taken. This is the kind of thing that went on. Yes? Yes? any special evil is against anyone else. And the time may come when a great many people will be saying that John and Robert Kennedy were fortunate in that they died and others lived to go through what may be coming. Well, our time is up and we stand. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com With Lucky Land Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.